Jesus, we just thank you so much for today. Um, we just ask that you would speak this morning. Um, no one needs to hear from me, but we all need to hear from you, Lord. So I just ask that um, you would speak through the words that you've prepared in my heart and that you laid on my heart this morning for all of us, um, and that we would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with you and with man. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So starting in verse 41, um, I'm going to read this and then um, talk about a few things, and then we'll dive into some points. So Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And some other translations say, be about my father's business. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And then the key verse that we're gonna focus on today is, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So last week, if we were here, Austin shared with us that he felt like we're in a season where we're preparing a new wineskin to be able to withhold the new wine that God wants to pour out on Riverstone. And Tom uh, last year shared that he felt like Riverstone was going through this process of being reborn and kind of having a new identity created in certain ways. And I felt the Lord lead me to this passage as this process of Jesus having just been born, but then the one passage of scripture that we have about him growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So what does it look like for us to really grow as followers of Jesus, to take steps forward in our faith together, to go through that pruning process that Austin shared with us last week? Uh, There's a story uh, I wanna share real quick before we dive into the text. Uh, One of my favorite stories that um, the last couple years has really been on my heart personally is a story um, of the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor um, in Germany And he decided that he wanted to start an underground seminary where it's illegal to be a Christian. And he gets together about 11 or 12 pastors and they meet daily to pray together, to read the scriptures, to iron sharpen iron. And one day he has a friend who shows up and confronts him and says, why are you doing this? This is dangerous. Why are you following this hyper-spirituality? Dietrich came from the upper echelon of society. He was a well-known professor and he had good repute and they, he was viewing it like you're ruining your life. This is dangerous, why are you doing this? And he takes his friend down to water and they get in a boat and they row across this water to an island and they start climbing this island and as they're climbing up this hill, you can hear planes flying in and out over their head. And when they get to the top of the hill, you can look down and you can see Nazi soldiers marching in order and planes flying in and out. And Dietrich basically goes into this speech to his friend saying, we have to form ourselves stronger than that. And he points back at the seminary and he says, this has to be stronger than that. 
And we are called as a body of believers to be conformed into the image of Christ, not to be deformed into the image of the world. And in the first line of this passage, um, I'll reread it to you all real quick. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. The passage opens up with us, opens up and tells us that his parents are living devoted lives to the Lord, that this is something they do every year, that Jesus is growing up in a family that's obediently following the commands and the ways of God. And if we go from there down to um, diving into the first piece that I wanna highlight is wisdom. Jesus grew in his wisdom. I wanna highlight verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I can remember being in middle and high school and I would have different teachers or coaches tell me that I was mature for my age or that I was wise for my age. And to me, I didn't really understand what that meant because I was just doing what my parents had taught me. I was living how they had disciplined me, how they had taught me, how they had raised me. And it wasn't until I grew up and I matured and I studied the word for myself that I realized I, as a middle and high school, was reaping the benefit of my parents' obedience to raise me according to God's word. And so whether you're a six-year-old or a 60-year-old, if you're sharing wisdom or if you're living like Christ, that's wise. It doesn't matter what your age is. And I have began to realize that we as a body of Christ are called to create an environment for our children and for the next generation by living the example of God's word and by teaching and instructing and equipping each other and the next generation to live according to it. And that's how we ultimately transform the world. Because one, one of my favorite quotes by Vadi Bakum, he says, we can't send our kids to Caesar and expect them not to come home as Romans. We have to be intentionally doing things to form our kids collectively. We have to fill in the gap. If there's single mothers or single fathers that are a part of our congregation, the other, those of us who are fathers and mothers need to fill in roles of fatherly examples, motherly examples, so that we can raise up the next generation to follow the Lord. And not only that, but they can see that it's a compelling way to live that it's the right way to live. They can look out at the world and they can see pain and anxiety and fear. But when they see their parents, even when things get tough, they trust in the Lord. And there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what we're called to as a community of believers. Whether your kids are in public school or private school or homeschooled, if you're not intentional about the way that you choose to disciple and raise your kids, it doesn't matter where they're going. At some point, they're gonna step out in the world and have to face it. And they can do it with firm foundations that we collectively lay in front of them or we can let them do it alone. And we're called to do it together. So like Grant shared so beautifully in his testimony, we're called to be a family, brothers and sisters in faith that link up arm in arms and fill in the gap. I think a lot of times when we read Acts chapter two and we see that they sold all their possessions and that they filled in the needs for each other, we think physical, tangible food we don't think about the fact that there were widows and that there were single dads and that there were people that needed other needs that they sought to meet as a community. And that's what we're called to do. So stepping in deeper into this wisdom piece, we see that Jesus has grown up in a family that is following the ways of Jesus, that he's been taught or following the, the book of the Bible. They're following the Old Testament and he's being raised in a family that's obedient. And so when he's sitting 
and listening to these teachers and answering questions and asking questions, he already has understanding because his parents had faithfully led in front of him. And if it, sometimes it can mess with our incarnational theology when we try to figure out how, God is, how Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that in order for everything that we believe to be true in the New Testament and in the gospels, that Jesus decided to take his God powers and set them on a shelf because he did not, equality, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And so he lived just like you and I, like we sing today, as a normal human being. He had to grow like we just read. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor. And so he's doing, one of my favorite things about this passage is he's doing it at 12, at 12 years old that he does at 30. He sits, he listens, and he asks questions, and he seeks to learn and grow. And one of the things that I'm continually studying is how Jesus almost always answers a question with a question because the other person already knows that there's something in their heart that they're leaning away from. And that question provokes them to answer their own question and their heart's revealed. And he's doing that here, I believe, by asking questions and then being amazed that he's able to just ask a question and that be an answer. So we see that he's growing in wisdom. Next, uh, I wanna talk about stature. When we hear the word stature, we think physical, external stature or age. But biblically, as I studied and as I'm going through this text, I was reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, I'll just read this for you so you don't have to turn there. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is after Saul has failed as king of Israel. And he's chosen to eat the fruit and he wanted to decide what was good and what was evil. And he didn't wanna follow the ways of God anymore. So the Lord pulls the anointing from him and is gonna anoint a new king. And he sends Samuel to Jesse, who has many sons, whom David is one, to anoint the next king. And I'm gonna read this passage for you. This is when one of the sons walks up um, to Samuel. When they came to him, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. For, the, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if we go back to our main text, we can see in verse 49, it says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? We see that Jesus is already having his heart inclined towards what's the father doing? Where am I supposed to be? I must be about my father's business. I must be in my father's house. He's allowed the wisdom and the understanding that he's grown up in to also affect his heart. And if there's anything we know about King David, it's that he's a man after God's own heart. And that it wasn't about physical external stature, but it was about the stature of his heart and that his heart had grown to the point that he was inclined towards the ways of God. And that's what we are called to as a family of faith and as individuals. So I have a chart that I'm gonna um, toss up on the screen. Um, I believe Nolan has that for us. This, um, if you look at the bottom left, that's the book that this comes from. And this is something that has helped me a lot in my own personal journey of faith, but also has helped me a lot in the process of discipling other people. And Tom, a few weeks ago, we, we got snowed out and weren't able to meet together, but he taught on discipleship and really disciple making and the process of what that looks like and what we're called to in that place. And if you didn't um, watch that or didn't have the opportunity to, I can encourage you to go see that. 
But this is something that has been immensely helpful for me. And I felt like in the stage that we are as a church, that this is something that as we have been reborn, that it's important for us to know the stages in which God often works to grow us. So this is something that you can look at a macro zoomed out level, meaning the stage one life-changing awareness of God is the moment that you recognize that Jesus was who he said he was. That you realized for the first time that he really came and he really grew up and lived the perfect life that none of us could and died on a cross for all of our sins, a spotless lamb to cover us. And on the third day was raised again so that we would be raised with him. And that you have that recognition and all of a sudden your life is different. And now you move into this stage of discipleship. But if you were to go all the way to the end and go to transformed by love, you could look at any of our current or past elders or some of the older people of the faith in this room, and you can recognize that they are marked by love. Their motivations behind most of the things that they do are love, which is what we are ultimately trying to be transformed into over time as a people that not only do the things that God has asked us to do, but our motivation to do those things is love and sacrifice for other people. So you can do that at a zoomed out level, but I wanna talk about this um, for the next little bit at a zoomed in level. This is something that will repeat over and over and over in your life as you grow in faith. And this, for me, um, I'll just share my own personal experience and example so you can see kind of how this goes. So life-changing awareness of God. So I come out of high school and I go to our one camp, Riverstone One Camp. And I have this incredible encounter with the Lord, me and a couple of my friends. And for the first time, our eyes are opened to the spiritual gifts. And for the first time, we come to recognize that God wants to work and move today and that he wants to use me and that he's given me specific gifts and he's given my other friends also specific gifts. And I have this new awareness, not that I haven't been saved, but I have a new deeper level, a deeper understanding or awareness of something that I didn't before. And this tosses me into stage two, discipleship, where I start to study the scriptures and figure out everywhere that it says anything about the thing that my heart's been open to. I have a new hunger for the word in this area of my life. And so I start to dive in and study, but then I'm also interested in not just what the word says, but what have the saints throughout all of history said on the same subject? So I go back, we have rich history of faith. It's one of my favorite things. We have 2000 years almost of literature. Any question that you have about your faith right now, I guarantee you I could find you a book from someone somewhere who's already had the question or written a book about it. And so I took time to study and learn and disciple myself in this. But then as I learned, I realized there were things I was doing and things I wasn't doing that I should be doing. So I start to try to apply those things to my life and discipline myself and disciple myself in doing those things. And over time through this process, you move into stage three, which is the active life, which is serving. So now not only am I spending most of my time personally trying to study and learn about these things, but now I'm living them out. And now I'm serving in small groups and now I'm serving on ministry teams and now I'm doing all of these things that I'm learning in the congregation for the body, for the sharpening and for the raising up of each other. And you'll see the wall right in the middle between stage three and stage four. And it's really important to recognize this part of growth in faith because a lot of times we hit a wall, which means what you have been doing stops working. The excitement that you've had for maybe what you've been studying or what you've been doing starts to go away. The way that you've been living, maybe reading your Bible twice a week stops 
fulfilling you the same way, or maybe praying every now and then doesn't do the same as it did for this season. And oftentimes, when this happens, when we don't understand how the Lord chooses to grow us, we will start chasing the original encounter. And so we will go from event to event to event, or church to church to church, or denomination, 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 seeking that original encounter. When ultimately what the Lord wants to do is push us to look inside. If you look at this chart, the first half is almost all wisdom, mind, understanding, applying. But when we hit this wall, oftentimes it's an invitation for us to step back from how much we're pushing forward and to sit in some silence and solitude and ask the Lord what he's doing. And often in this place, this is where the Lord will start to mess with the idols in our life or with the ways that we've been doing the things in service, but with the wrong motivation. So I was using spiritual gifts and I was using prophetic words, but I often wanted to do it to be seen or for people to acknowledge that I had some deep understanding And this is where the Lord starts to get to the heart. And he starts to utilize what we know, the wisdom, the things we've been learning to transform our heart. And we have to go through this process of healing. And oftentimes when you hit this wall, this can be trauma from your past comes up. Or you have even a bad diagnosis or a loss of a loved one. These these can be intense moments that cause us to have crises of faith um, if you were to zoom out on a larger level. But sometimes in this season, this can be that place. And the Lord takes us inward and he starts to teach us some things and he starts to grow us and he starts to heal us. This is the healing work of God where he's taking things and he's working on our motives and he's healing the things from trauma or from hurt or whatever it may be. And over time, as he heals those things inside of us, and as we repent for certain idols in our life that we've had behind our reasoning for things, we scoot into stage five. And now we start continuing to serve, but we recognize our motives and we check our heart and we seek to become people transformed by love. So no longer am I using a gift of teaching or am I using prophetic words for personal acknowledgement or gain but I'm doing it out of motivation for love and care and serving for other people. And over time, this will just repeat over and over and over. And what will happen is as soon as you get through this transformed by love, boom, new awareness. All of a sudden you realize that you've never fasted before. And Tom did a sermon on fasting and you've probably heard it 50 times, but for some reason this time, it's different. And all of a sudden you get a hunger to go study fasting and that leads into discipleship and then the same thing repeats. And that's why when you look at a macro level, those of us who are older in the faith, who have been Christians for long periods of time are more often motivated by love because our process for growth is not just changing us into people that do the things that God asks us to do, but changes us into types of people that more naturally want to do those things out of love for other people. That's being transformed into the image of Jesus and into the image that God has for us to be. So this is something that I would encourage you to take a picture of. If you want to dive in deeper, you can go read that book. Um, But it's something that for me has been immensely helpful in my personal discipleship, but also in the process of making disciples. Because when you don't recognize this, you'll try to put your level of awareness of God onto other people. And that's not how we disciple people. We are all in different stages of growth, different stages of development. And there's also a different process that the Lord wants to use to grow each and every one of us. That's why you can't template our faith. You can't go, these are the four steps that you do to follow Jesus. And if, you, if every person always does all these things, they will always be faithful all their life. 
And you're like, you've never met a human ever in your entire life. We are all uniquely wired, uniquely gifted with different gifts and graces. We are male and female. We are different in so many different ways. And if we try to take one thing and we try to disciple people the way that God is discipling us, that's wrong. That's why Jesus leads by example and invitation. Too much of Christian faith has become coercion and control. When we're called to lead by example and invite people into something, we're supposed to live compelling lives so that when someone in the world enters into this room, they see how we're living and go, I want that. That's what we're called to. We're called to live with such ferocious love and be such non-anxious presence in a world full of anxiety that they go, how do you live right now and have no anxiety? Well, that's because my life is built on a firm foundation. And we've built a community like the first verse that we read that is raising people and equipping us in a specific way on the statutes and precepts and the things that God has laid for us to study and learn and grow in. I want to read one um, more verse and then um, we'll go into a closing. Um, Connected to this passage of Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. You can find a few different passages that echo this thought and this idea. But um, if you were to turn to Proverbs 3, the beginning of Proverbs 3 echoes this. And most of you would know verse 5, and you'll see as I read it. Um, But this is, I, I thought about going through and reading all the different Bible verses I could on the things we gain from following the commandments and the teachings of God. And I realized that it would be like six hours. So I decided to just read this verse to encourage you. So this is Proverbs 3, verse one through six. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your necks and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And then this is the verse that most people know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I think a lot of times we quote that verse, but we don't realize that it to be able to trust the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, you have to have been living according to his commandments to grow to know his character and then to be able to go, oh, you've been faithful always. So I don't have to understand why in this moment, but I'm just gonna lean not into my own understanding and acknowledge your ways and follow them and you will make my path straight whether I see it or not. So I wanna close with this point wisdom and stature and in favor. You could teach about favor in a million different ways, but I felt led by the Lord um, to go to this one passage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 1. Um, And if the worship team wants to come up, they can go ahead and come up. I'm gonna just read this for us real quick. Ephesians 1, verse three through four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. If you were to go look up the word blessing in that spot, the Greek word is eulogio. And we understand that word as eulogy. 
And what we know eulogy to be is at the end of someone's life, a few people will prepare 15 to 20 minutes to say everything good that that person has ever done in every aspect of their life that we loved. And this is telling us that before the foundations of the world, God eulogized you. He spoke out every good thing that you would ever do. He spoke life over every aspect of you. And your parents might have chosen to have you, but God chose to send you. And he chose when to send you. And he spoke over you. He eulogized you. You have a plan and a purpose of being here right now in this season. God could have sent you at any time in human history. And he chose right here and right now with these people in this room, in this place. And you have a destiny and a plan and a purpose, whether you're six years old or 60 years old or any age in between, above or below. God has you here for a reason. And he wants us to come together as a community of believers to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man together and to raise up the next generation, which is our greatest weapon against the enemy. And I'm excited to do that with you all. So I'm gonna invite Tom up here to lead us into uh, some ministry time.